It wasn't about immigration, ever. What do the voters care about? Inflation? Of immigration? But Ukraine does not appear. There's anger. There's anger that this is the focus of our elected representatives when we have a wide open border. So the House, to their credit, voted to impeach Alejandro Marcus. And so people are seeing like, well, what's the point? It's dead on arrival. Bill Clinton was impeached. Donald Trump was impeached twice. The point is it still matters. <laughs> All right, everyone, welcome back to the Loopcast. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Erica and Josh. And Josh said right before this recording, he hates fasting. Yes, indeed. Uh, I have ashes on my I head. Do. We are fasting currently. Please have some mercy on us. We're all doing this under uh, little food. And Except for well, me. <laughs> I know. See, you can get out of jail, get out of jail car being pregnant every Just- Believe me, so. Josh, there are trade-offs. I, I would actually rather be fasting than be <laughs> 34 months pregnant, which I currently am. Erica's going to sound extra 34 smart. months That's what pregnant, okay. Erica's yeah. going to give the most insightful takes out of probably the three of us. <laughs> I'm going to be starvation brain. Well, so, I mean, the whole Lent thing, I mean, but, you know, my friend Steve, he listens to the, the, to the podcast, so thank you for that, Steve. We, he called me out, though. We're at this board meeting, school board meeting, and it's just you know, it's a long, you know, hours and hours of having to sort through stuff. I'm like, it's, you know, it was Fat Tuesday. I'm like, okay, slide me the cookies here, you know, stress eating, whatever. He goes, I thought you only ate desserts for your kids' birthdays. I go, it's Fat it's Tuesday. Fat. <laughs> that's a big, that's a feast. Slide it over. <laughs> Give it to me, Steve. Hey. Give me the cookie before I get angry. I love the pot. Um, you know, I'm the kind of, I'm, the, I'm a bad Catholic. So I totally ate ribs uh, the night before Ash Wednesday, you know, just went to town. Ate a bunch of food, you know. I love the uh, public accountability coming from uh, people hearing you say stuff on the podcast. Um, but yes, we're with you in spirit. Happy Ash Wednesday. I hope you guys have a great line. We're praying for all of you. Really want to take it on and uh, kill it this Lent. So praying for all of you. We're, we're in it with you. But uh, we had some breaking news recently. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary, was indeed impeached last night. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about uh, the immigration bill that turned into the Ukraine bill. I'm not sure how that sleight of hand happened, but we're going to go into that a little bit and uh, maybe a little bit of Lent talk. So we'll see where the show takes us. But we're going to start off first. Erica, why did the Senate now pass a bill all of a sudden sending $95 billion potentially to Ukraine? Right. So we covered extensively the immigration bill to which uh, which failed or never even came to the vote, really, because McConnell said, it's dead. We aren't going to support it. We aren't just even going to vote on it. But attached to that bill, which we also mentioned, were uh, several outlays. We had $61 billion for Ukraine and another X billion for Israel. And so the Senate just said, well, well, we'll separate those from the immigration thing, which clearly we can't come to an agreement on. But we've got to vote for fun keeping the war going in, in Ukraine. And so, indeed, we got a 70 to 29 vote approving a 95 billion, with a B, emergency aid legislation um, to continue to arm Ukraine um, in its fight against Russian aggression. And the measure, uh, so the measure specifically break it down, we got 60 billion point one uh, going to Kiev and then 14.1 billion uh, going to Israel. Uh, for the war against Hamas, and another $10 billion for humanitarian aid 
for uh, Palestine, Gaza, other conflict zone civilians. So this is an enormous, enormous outlay. And I have to admit, I, I feel like I was suckered because it wasn't about immigration ever. <laughs> we're, we have this big, like, we're going to have a bipartisan immigration deal. And, oh, those MAGA Republicans won't come to the table. And now, oh, well, at least we got our war money. So that's where things stand coming out of the Senate. But this would have to go to the House to get passed, correct? Correct. It has to go and, to the House. And Speaker Johnson has vowed right. that it's dead on arrival. Uh, nonetheless, As it should it's be. sure. Yeah, it, it should be. We'll we see. We will see. I, I, the unit party has power, man. Very Let me true. tell you. When, when, Mitt Romney, when Mitt Romney comes out and says this is the most important vote the Senate will ever take about aid to a country, not ours. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know that it's bad. The unit party's getting bad in D.C. <laughs> so do you see, though, the back and forth uh, with these senators yeah. on Twitter? It was great. So Eric, Sh- Eric Schmidt is awesome Catholic senator from Missouri. He's like, not nearly every Republican senator under the age of 55 voted no on this America last bill. 15 of the 17 elected since 2018 voted no. Things are changing just fast enough to which North Dakota Republic North North Dakota Republican Kevin Kramer is really giving me <laughs> lately. <laughs> he tweets back, he's like youthful naivete is bliss. The wisdom of age may save the West. <laughs> Ray Reagan Reagan may be dead, but his doctors say the world during less dangerous times than these if the modern marks, Putin for the youngsters, restores the USSR while we pretend it's not our problem. God help us be free. Now, actually, finally, someone's actually making a case for aiding Ukraine to kind of drain the resources of Putin because you're worried he's going to try to reunite the band and bring you know Ukraine as the next step and try to get all the other former Soviet satellites into his orbit because he doesn't have enough border. You know, that and because the population of, you know, Russia is imploding and you have this massive empire, this massive land base, uh, that actually is an argument. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it and I don't necessarily want to go for it, but at least at least you're saying something like that actually is an argument as, as opposed to what Mitt Romney said, where it's like, well, this is the most important vote of my life. Like, really? Maybe your life needs to be gone in the Senate. Did, so, did you see what his top advisor said, Josh, about J.D. Vance's thing? Well, so J.D. Vance replied to <laughs> Eric, uh, Kevin Kramer, and he's like, I like, Ke- I like Kevin, but come on, man, have some self-awareness. The, fruit, the fruits of this generation in American leadership is quagmire in Afghanistan, war in Iraq under false pretenses, declining life expectancy, demographic, demographic collapse in the West. You know, this co- moment calls out for many things, but boomer neoconservatism is not among them. So, I mean, it's just... This is the kind of debate, by the way, would actually be enjoyable to have. Um, I mean, I like it on Twitter, but maybe there's another place that these three men who represent North Dakota, Ohio, and uh, Missouri could have this debate. Where, trivia, where, where, trivia, where, where, Erica, you, you got the answer? Oh, I think it would be the Senate floor, <laughs> right? Am I right? Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it is frustrating, these debates. Aren't Just happening. an idea, guys. I mean, they actually did have a debate. I mean, there was this long, you know, all the different senators came out and they did say their piece. But it was just kind of funny that the most exciting fireworks is outside the floor. Yeah, if I could, if you want to get like a really good piece of American, current American statesmanship and the up and coming, the possibilities that are within the Republican Party right now, J.D. Vance gave an hour long speech. It is long. Yes, indeed. But if you need something to do during Lent and you gave up Netflix, 
you could educate yourself and watch his speech on the Senate floor instead. And uh, yeah, he, he actually went into the demographic decline in Europe, in America, and he said, look, if we want China and Russia to fear us, the answer is not proxy war in Ukraine. The answer is building a strong America and a strong Europe. And that starts with our borders and building up our population and our families. Um, so it was a great speech. I, I would highly recommend it. But bottom line is we opted for using Ukraine as our, I think, Tom, you used the word when we were talking about this cannon fodder to fight to resist Russia. And it's it's it does feel that way. Um, we spent, we still spent billions and billions of dollars, and not a dollar of it is going to the crisis Americans actually care about. I was looking at a couple studies came out the last few weeks, and this will happen the whole election year. We'll be seeing these studies of what do the voters care about? What are the number one issues? And for Republicans and Democrats, we've got an independence as well. We've got, of course, inflation. We have immigration. For Democrats, number three, interestingly enough, is abortion. Uh, for Republicans, it's a close call, I think, between abortion and education. I have to go check it again, but I'll post that here. But Ukraine does not appear in the top priorities for any of the American voter populations, for any of these. And yet this is what our Senate can pass. It's so frustrating, um, especially knowing what's going on in our own country. And some people have asked us, actually, Couple, more than a couple of people have asked us to talk about what we thought about the Tucker interview in Russia. And I feel like this applies. If I could give general thoughts, I listened to it. I listened to the first 30 minutes and then saw clips from there on. Um, it, I think Tucker did a good job. I think Putin gave a very Russia version of European history. Let's put it that way. Uh, the accusation of... Thank you. Thank wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the accusation of Poland uh, basically... Uh, causing World War II was an interesting one. I had not heard before. Uh, they said that Poland for po Poland was working with the Nazis and they were the reason for all of this. Um, interesting. I don't know if that one adds up. No, no. Poland, Hitler had to invade Poland because the Poles made him come and beat them up 1939. That was a great... Uh, Even if you go back further, he was blaming Poland for mistreating Ukraine. Like they were saying that Poland was treating them poorly and that was kind of... The, so it was kind of, kind of crazy. Um but I, I think the fact that the interview happened is fantastic. I mean, I would I think the world leaders should, you know, if a world leader is speaking and we, I know so little about that region because all we hear comes out of the Hillary Clinton mouthpiece where they're like, we cannot listen to this person. They're too dangerous. I think that just makes more curiosity and makes them into more of a boogeyman than maybe they actually are. I think the the more that you hear from people, you can at least use critical thinking and be like, okay, well, you know, that doesn't match up with this telling of history or this telling of history. It's an important input. I think Tucker did a good job and I, I really have to credit him. He had some huge stones to ask to his face, hey, release our guy because Russia currently is holding on to an American that is known to not be a spy. He's a young kid. Uh, he actually doubled down and said, you should let him go. Uh, Putin responded, you know, I've given I've given away all of my goodwill, basically. The kid's probably older than you. I know. I know. Seriously, <laughs> it's it's uh, so good, good on him. He definitely looked nervous. Uh, it was a long history lesson. Uh, that didn't really get to the point. I think the biggest thing he was asking is like, so, you know, you've been president or ruler of Russia for 22 years or something like that. Why'd you just two years ago choose to invade Ukraine? And then he launched into a history retelling starting at about like 500 AD, I think. So, um, yeah, maybe not as as much came from that as I think people hoped. I'm still happy it happened. 
Um, but how this all ties into the aid, I think it just really reiterates how little most people actually know about that region and how the, the map redraws of World War One and World War Two were so catastrophic. And I think kind of increase the hatred that I think people have for NATO and America in that region because they just chopped it up without any regard to cultural sensitivity or uh, historic homelands, things like that. Um, so I, I do think that people in that region have somewhat of a point of like, yeah, we got screwed by NATO here. Like, yeah, I think you did too. And America was a part of NATO. So I, I don't know what to say. Um, but yeah, those are some of my takeaways from the interview. I don't know if you guys had anything else you wanted to say on it, but it's a complex region. I think yeah, we're at fault about in a lot of same. places. Yeah, same same reaction. And I, I just think that I just think that uh, you know, history of Putin is probably not going to be a new Netflix show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, with this deep cuts with Vlad. Seriously. So, I, when it comes to the the aid, I think the obvious implication is there's anger. There's anger that this is the focus of our elected representatives when we have a wide open border. I mean, it just keeps coming back to that. So, the House, to their credit, by the skin of their teeth, one vote voted to impeach. Uh, Alejandro Marcus. I believe the two reasons were willfully uh, disobeying the law and then basically a negligence charge as well. And uh, we do realize though, like they had to do that vote now because the special election just happened in New York and Democrats captured the seat from George Santos. So like if they hold that vote like on Saturday, it doesn't pass. Right. And Democrats are saying it's because of the immigration bill that was put up by McConnell and Schumer. Uh, was the reason they were able to flip that seat. But I don't know. Who knows what they're saying? Yeah, I'm not so sure. I think there's reasons for that. I mean, the thing is, you know, the Democrats and Republicans are going to both want to over-interpret the special election result there. But I actually think, you know, a better candidate would have been helpful. I also think just the voters in that district are punishing the Republicans because they gave them this lemon of George Santos. Like, that, that matters, you know, so... You know, as for greater implications, that's not necessarily maybe. But Josh, if I could ask, but anyway, did the impeachment surprise you? Were you surprised it was successful? And then, do you think it actually means anything? I do think it means something. I was very frustrated that we the first vote last week was unsuccessful. Um, You know, you had people like Ken Buck, who used to be a super conservative way back in the day, and now he just kept drifting more and more to the left as his district went bluer. Um, I was very annoyed by Gallagher out of. Uh, Wisconsin, who was once considered a rising star, people thought he'd make a you know, great United States senator. Then he went for he, he voted for the the change of marriage bill last year, and that really torqued me. He's from an area like Green Bay. I mean, it's not like he represents a deep blue district either. And so he also voted against impeaching Mayorkas. And it's like, what in the world is going on with this? And now it looks like he's got his cushy jobs. You know, he's not right for re-election anymore. He's planning on becoming a, working for a defense contractor in a lobby. <laughs> I could have guessed that, Josh. I didn't even know that. And I was going yeah, like, well, oh, that's what, that's what That was his end game. Yeah. yeah. So instead of running for governor or Senate like that, I mean, he's a younger guy. I mean, he's, you know, not much older than me even. So, you know, that was frustrating. But like, um, the, apparently the word was on the Hill that, you know, Ske- Steve Scalise, who had been injured, you know, from a, a shooting, at, you know, at the congressional softball, you know, stuff that was years ago. And he got back, and so he still has complications. He had a, he went in for some medical stuff recently, and he wasn't able to make, not only make the the first vote, but he's a good whipper that he whips the the vote. And he you know his staff was like, yeah, no, no, we're gonna get this 
And he comes back. He's going to be able to make sure we can get, get it across the line. And he did by the, the skin of the teeth. Josh, for those uninitiated, uninitiated, what is a whipper? What is a whip? Well, so like in that, in in the House, you've got 435 members. You know, and Republicans obviously have about what 216 or so. It's a slim, slim majority. You have the Speaker of the House. And then there's the majority leader, which Steve Scalise is, and he had been the whip before that. He was the major, you know, minority whip, and then now they're in the majority. And the whip is the person who literally their job is to whip votes. Like, you know, you think, of, whoosh, crack a whip. He's going around to try to figure out, where are you at this? Can we count on your, are you a yes on this? You know, he's the one that's counting noses. And it's like, you know, this is the person you're not, you're supposed to really kind of level with. Like, you know, and I don't know, I'm having trouble with this what he asks. Okay, what's the what do you, what, you know, what what's the problem? What are you thinking? Like, give me some, you know, so that's the guy whose job is to try to get members to vote with the rest of the caucus in a way that gets them comfortable. It's like, well, I don't know, my district has a problem with this or that. And so can we address that? Okay, yeah, we can address it. That's usually in a bigger bill when of course this is just whether or not we should, you know, impeach Mayorkas, which the House did. Now it goes over to the Senate for trial. It's the first time since the Reconstruction era, like 1876 or something like that. We've had, yeah, it's the first time. I mean, man, does this guy deserve it? You know, this guy is responsible for a wide open border. And I mean, I, I, I would, you know, I kind of jokingly would like to impeach the entire cabinet, but of course, then we don't have the 25th Amendment being able to be invoked, you know, because this guy who's president needs to be removed. But of course, impeaching is just, you know, beginning the trial over in the Senate, the Senate has to decide whether or not they're going to remove him. And the United States Senate, I can tell you, is not going to remove Alejandro Mayorkas because the Democrats control the Senate. You're not going to get two thirds of the Senate to vote to remove him from office. And so people are saying like, that's what Kevin Kramer was saying, like, well, what's the point? He's dead on arrival. And that, you know, because he was saying the same argument about the immigration bill they were working on. You're saying it's dead arrival in the House. And therefore, you're telling us not to do it. Well, you're you're going to impeach Mayorkas, and that's down on the rival here in the Senate. The point is, it still matters. Bill Clinton was impeached. Donald Trump was impeached twice. Does it matter? Yes. Everyone always talks about it. You know, he was impeached. First president to be impeached twice. You know what? I mean, if if we had a bigger majority, if the Republicans had a bigger majority in the House, I guarantee you they'd impeach Biden. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's like something's down on the on the record, essentially. There's action. It's a stuff. marker. Yeah. It's a it's a vote of no confidence. It's like you know you are. It's like getting an F on your report card. You're a total failure. Now whether or not you get removed, that's up to the Senate. Yeah, I did see a pretty funny meme uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean where I believe Johnny Depp's character was getting like hung again, and then he looks at another guy and he just says first time question mark, and they Photoshop Trump's face on him, and then they Photoshop Morris's face on the other guy. So. I appreciated that one. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so that happens. And then I also just saw a clip of Mike Johnson essentially saying again, like this, em- this bill, the emergency funding bill to Ukraine and Israel is down in arrival from the house as well. Uh, w- we need to show some love to Americans. We need to fix our problems first. It's been pretty awesome. I have to say some big W's from, from Mike Johnson and the Republicans. We'll see. I ground. mean, he's I saying the right things. Yeah. The question is whether or not you have such a slim majority in the House, and so you have to think there's going to be a, a handful of Republicans that could team together with the Democrats and um, 
probably file a discharge petition, which is something that you can do if the if the leadership of the House doesn't want to advance a bill. You can there's still a mechanism where a majority of the members of the House can force the House to vote on something. So that you know, on the back of my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, there's a lot of money involved. You know, and, and this thing I, I want to say about this whole debate in the Ukraine, like I say, I, I generally am against additional, you know, funding for Ukraine, especially since, you know, the president of Ukraine put together a $60 million mansion in, was it uh, Dubai or somewhere where there's no extradition. So if things go south, he jumps on a plane and he's set for life, you know. And I, I, there's a good point that was put together this poll that they did a poll of Republicans and Michael Brandon Doherty uh, highlighted this because Mitch McConnell thinks we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough to support Ukraine, right? And this poll showed, this Fox News poll showed that just 11% of Republican voters agree with Mitch McConnell's position that we're not doing enough for Ukraine. 11% of Republicans think we're not doing, yeah, I mean, like in other words, yeah, we're doing quite a bit, a lot for these guys. But the most repugnant arguments I'm hearing about this Ukraine stuff, this guy, Mark Thiessen, he writes, he's a total you know neocon type. And he got onto Twitter and he's a Washington Post columnist because he, he supports, you know, he should just have Boeing in his name and, and McConnell Douglas and all that stuff. And he says, Ukraine aid money is going to Alabama to produce the following systems, high mobility artillery rocket systems, javelins, M1A1 Abrams tanks, M2A4 Bradley infantry fighting vehicles, Hydra 70 rockets, M777 howitzer parts. On and on and on he goes, striker armored personal carriers. This is creating jobs for your constituents. He's calling out Coach Tuberville, who was against, he's a senator from Alabama who's against the Ukraine thing. So this is Mark Feisen just sm- slamming the senator. This is creating jobs for your constituency and hot assembly lines and factories in Alabama that will benefit U.S. national security. Why are you voting against Alabama defense jobs? This is just absolute vomit argument. And if I, I mean, it, that, if that guy said that in front of me, I'd pop him in the nose. It's just absolutely disgusting. Like, dude, so we might be killing millions of people, but man, think about the jobs we're creating. This is the most repugnant argument I've ever heard. Vile. Right. Do you remember uh, the original Iron Man? I actually just went back and watched it. I just it. watched it. No way. So, yeah. If, in the big theme of it, which of course I didn't interpret when I think it came out in 2008, I was 10. But the whole thing was- I was, was not about- 10. <laughs> the, I totally missed the whole main arc, which is like the, the military industrial complex, like uh, Stark Industries actually like looks very similar in font to, I think, Lockheed Martin. And I'm sure it was intentional. And they were, they were selling to both sides of a conflict. And uh, Tony Stark kind of has this wake up moment where he's like, what am I doing? You know, we're, we're making money off of selling weapons to both sides. Like I need to stop. And the person in charge of the board was trying to take Tony Stark out because he still wanted to, to make that money, essentially. It turns out he was the real villain, not even the terrorist that he was funding with the Stark weapons. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> I, was like, I totally did not get that when I was 10. When you I was were like, 10? I was, I was like, <laughs> he can fly. The this geopolitical is themes. <laughs> but uh, what, man, yeah. but See, I, I, I was a political nerd even at 10. Sorry. Yeah, you probably would have gotten it. But when I watched it, I was like, I, this is literally making me think of these type of conflicts. Like how much Tony Stark is invoking General Eisenhower in his farewell address from uh, presidency. Yeah, well, 
<laughs> that's Sorry, a, Erica, what are you going to say? Deep, well, I was going to say, I think that all of these threads, the the immigration, the impeachment, the Ukraine funding bill, and the the whole dead on arrival, dead on arrival, you know, back and forth, back and forth there. On the one hand, you know, the, the anti-federal part of me wants to say, okay, good, they just can't do anything, right? They can't get anything done. On the other hand, for me, it's so frustrating to to cast my mind back and remember October 2022, and we're all anticipating the red wave, right? Remember the red wave that we were going to get, and we're just going to take over both houses of Congress, and nothing happened. Sat, it was a purple I sat puddle, sad right? With it Josh. was sad. I was actually with Josh for that, yep. and I was just sitting sad. It was we a hard night. That was a tough night, and yeah. and this is the consequence. Not for the first 40 minutes. The first 40 minutes was sick. We were fired up high five it. And then it was just sad, man. That was just, it was a hard yeah. time. I went to bed. The vibes. But anyway, <laughs> for it's for anyone who's like, I'm sitting this election out, guys, this is the consequence. It's this frustrating back and forth with Ukraine, immigration, impeachment, that you can't actually finish the deal. Or what does Biden like to say? Finish the job, right? We can't finish the job because we we did not step up. We didn't win that election. We had a purple puddle. And and it's so frustrating. Another this was another story that came out this morning has to do with the real consequences of losing out on that immigration, any kind of immigration reform happening. So ICE, the oh gosh, ICE, what does it stand for? Josh, inter. Well, I think I got it. Immigrant. Immigration. Are you cheating? Dude, I got <laughs> We're it. All no, cheating. I'm not cheating. We're all googling. No, I'm not cheating. I got it. Right now. It's I, not is live. It immigration and customs enforcement. Yeah, or no. that's it. All right, yep. immigration customs enforcement. Yes, oh, Pogo for the win. That was awesome. All right, all right. So ICE is this story came out a study from the Washington Post. They have a 700 million budget shortfall. That would they the Washington Post goes it would have been addressed. Yeah, 700 million budget shortfall right now. I'm sorry, we have a budget shortfall and we have 80 billion to throw to other countries. Yes, Pogo. This is the con elections what have consequences. What are we doing talk. here? Yes, exactly. I thought you were making this up. No, I'm Wait, reading so it from the Washington Post. You're against the deal. Don't you realize you're against the deal? So therefore, you know, it's soup kitchen this time. This was great. The New York Times headline, the Washington Post headline was, this is the Republicans' fault because the Republicans wouldn't wouldn't agree to the Democrats' immigration deal. So now what's ICE going to do? They're considering releasing into the country 16,000 migrants because they can't keep them in detention. They're going to reduce detention capacity, release roughly 16,000 migrants into the interior and just say, sorry, guys, we can't house you anymore because of those big, bad Republicans like J.D. Vance. I love it. And it is so backwards. But again, that red wave didn't happen. To be able to say it with the the straight face, for Democrats to say, the problem here is that Republicans don't want to spend enough money to keep the illegals incarcerated that's just such a beautiful argument wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute minute. you're saying republicans are unwilling to spend money to keep people illegally in the country incarcerated really disgusting gaslighting disgusting it's uh it, it it you know who would work for almost have to give them a hand right now bravo who would work for the border uh cpb who would work for ice Tom, I have the answer for that right now. Anyone who looks at the clock and says they can wait 11 more months for a new president, that's who. Seriously, okay, let's just do some simple math. You see $80 billion laid out on a table and we'll do in a hundreds. 
and then ice comes to you, a, a central um, necessary part of any functioning country and says, hey, could we get a small little slice of the 80 billion to just do our basic necessities of the job? And both parties look them in the face and say, no, this needs to go to Ukraine. That is like that. And that is, if anyone's wondering what the America First movement is about, that is the distillation of why people want Donald Trump in office. Seriously. Or just anyone that would put the country first. People need to understand certain rules of politics that aren't, aren't taught in civic class or even, you know, uh, on, the, on the after school rock programs. So if you had a government agency that had only two jobs to do, okay, imagine this government agency's two jobs. One is to provide safety for playgrounds for kids. And the second thing that this agency did was to provide needles for drug addicts. Okay. Now, are you with me? Now, you think that'd be a weird agency to have those two very different things, but let's just you know, roll with it. Government's a little weird. So this agency has to make sure there's enough money for safety for playgrounds and money for drug uh, needles for drug addicts. Now, let's say their budget gets cut a little bit. What do you, what would the average American say? Oh, well, I, I guess if your money's, you know, got tight in the belts, I, I guess if we can't do both things, we should probably stop doing needles. But if, if, for drug if I addicts, was an American right? crack yeah. addict, I would say needles, but I'd say majority now, of the country would second. say now, playgrounds. So if you were in charge of that agency, Erica, and you had to make that call, what would you decide to get rid of? I would get rid of the needles for drug addicts. Precisely, which is an ingenious move. And of course, that that would be exactly not what the head of that agency would do, though. You know why? Why would that the head of that agency actually say, you know what? I could decide to keep funding safety for playgrounds, or I could continue funding needles for drug addicts, but I, I can't do both. So I'm going to provide funding for the needles for drug addicts. Why? Big needle. Big pharma. No. No. Big needle, dude. The reason for this is if he cuts uh, funding for the needles, no one's going to complain, and then his budget shrinks. But if he cuts the funding for the playground safety, all the moms will freak out and say, we need a, we demand funding for that, and his budget is restored and safe, and nothing gets cut. So the sometimes in politics, the incentives are all wackadoodle, okay? You're like, why don't you get rid of this stuff that's stupid? Because they don't want to. This has been and Machiavelli 101 <laughs> with Josh Mercer. The School of Politics, according to Josh. This you will not great. see this in Schoolhouse Rock. There will be no dancing cartoons telling <laughs> of, you about of, Big of needle. needle users and moms. This is the <laughs> reason why my kids are like, why don't you teach at our school? And instead, You're I'm busy doing saving a school board. You would teach them how to manipulate the school for more funding. That's right. And that's dangerous. <laughs> the student government would be out of can't control have Josh was there. <laughs> the student government, yeah. man. Holy crap. That would be an insane stugo. Um, okay. So this has been your uh, your lesson of politics with Josh. Maybe we'll make it a regular segment. We'll see how, how this one goes along. Uh, it Shocking, infuriating, all the adjectives. I cannot even believe that. That just makes me so angry. Thank you for that stat, I guess, Erica. But maybe I'm just extra hungry because we're fasting. So we have Mariana Mazzucato. She's an influential professor of economics uh, and of innovation and public value at the University College of London. She is Italian. Uh, she uh, is known for publishing comments in support uh, at the time of the Dobbs decision. She was very uh, pro-abortion. 
she's also an atheist, a uh, very self-professed atheist, uh, and also has said she was not a big fan of the popes before Pope Francis. Interesting. Um, however, she was offered to become a member of the Pontifical Academy of Life. So uh, I'm going to lean on Erica for the origins of that. Just know that it was created uh, by Catholics to give a Catholic perspective on a consistent ethic of life. So to contribute to the the, the intellectual um, intellectual body of work to continue to promote the Catholic view of human dignity, essentially. That's just going to be a very blanket statement. Erica can correct that um, soon. But basically, she was asked a question about being an atheist and pro-abortion, but also serving on this Catholic board, which seems like a reasonable question. Um, and she responded quickly. Seems like an obvious one. She responded quickly. Uh, it's really sad that we go backwards instead of forwards, then just completely dodged the question and then talked about how she shouldn't be questioned because she's an expert and there's children dying of starvation and thirst uh, and climate change is going to ruin the world. Um, that's a summation of the events, according to Tom. Uh, and so that really got me thinking, why do we have a Pontifical Academy for Life if we're going to put athe- pro-abortion atheists on it? And it turns out it wasn't always meant to be that way. Uh, a certain pope came in and changed some things. Uh, Erica, would you like to go into the background? What the heck is the Pontifical Academy of Life? Yeah, Pontifical Academy of Life definitely was not founded to include these kinds of voices in the conversation, as it were. It was founded uh, 30 years ago this year, actually, actually just this month, 30 years ago by the great Pope John Paul II, saint, uh, future doctor of the church, if I'm just going to throw that out there, hashtag told you so. And the specific task of the academy is to study and provide information, I'm quoting from the mission that he wrote, uh, in training about the principal problems of law and biomedicine pertaining to the promotion and protection of life, especially in direct relationship, and that's important, um, the direct relationship that these sciences have with Christian morality and the directives of the magisterium. Now, this is during the time of Fetus at Ratio. It's during the time of Veritatis Splendor, John Paul II's heyday. And so it was really created to draw, t- to emphasize, to draw together the truth that faith and reason are never in contradiction with one another. Um, and so originally there was a, an oath that members of the academy took and they, they would you know, promise to uphold and live by the teachings of the faith. That went away. And in fact, in the last few years, the pattern of appointees to the academy, uh, basically since 2019, but even going back into 2016 when Pope Francis changed some of the rules guard, um, governing the academy, the the appointees have been continually, shall we say, just a little more Jesuitical in flavor. So we've got Robert DeLauro from Loyola in LA, who has publicly expressed, you know, maybe abortion isn't always bad. Sheila Denotze Tlu of Botswana, Argentinian Jesuit, big surprise, Father Umberto Miguel Yanez, all of whom have promoted artificial contraception, in some cases even within marriage, that it's morally okay. And our friend Monsignor Philippe Bourdin, who is also the dean of the John Paul II Theological Institute for Marriage and Family Sciences, who promotes same-sex blessings and artificial contraception um, between consenting adults. So the whole the whole dream team, yeah, the whole makeup of this Pontifical Academy, which was founded to draw together faith and reason, has has been so warped in the last few years that it really is just turned into another 
Jesuit institution. That's all I can say about it. It's basically like Georgetown on steroids, but in Rome. So it's it's become very, very frustrating, um, I think, for, for a lot of people who grew up in the John Paul II era to see this transformation and just total rejection. And some of these guys who I just listed, they've actually written against Evangelium Vitae, the Pope, uh, John Paul II's great encyclical on he- the dignity of human life, um, the gospel of life for those What of is the atheist position on the dignity of human life? Yeah. So if you're appointing atheists to a pontifical university, the, the devil's advocate argument, so let me, let me go with the devil's advocate, is that in, the Catholic Church is not afraid of dialogue. And we're going to take experts, no matter what, where they come from, we're basically going to take the UN and Nobel Peace Prize Commission's favorite scientists and put them on our commission because we can separate. We can this is the this is the key, guys. We we can separate their faith life from their science. The entire point of freaking fetus at ratio, guys, was the marriage of faith and reason. And it can you no one is going to convince me that there is not in the world a practicing Catholic who is just as good at science as Professor Catalan Carrico, uh, mRNA vaccine lady, or Mariana Mazzucato, a professor of economics. I could name like six from the United States, but we don't like Americans, so they're not up for grabs. I'm pretty sure almost everyone pre the Pope Francis changes was Catholic, and they all had lifetime memberships. And then that got revoked as well. Right. Well, until until so Francis got kicked out. changed, until he removed the requirement to sign a statement of faith, everyone in the academy was Catholic. But he removed that in 2017, um, a year after he revised the statutes. Right. right. I mean, I was arguing yeah. with someone about this, dumb on my part, because I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. But they were like, well, it, it actually got so far to the point where it was like, well, would you want to outlaw people who weren't Catholic singing at Catholic masses? It's like, how did we get here? Mm. Um, my answer would be, I would like Catholics to be on Catholic boards and positions to speak to the world from a Catholic perspective. I would prefer atheists not sing at my mass if we want to talk about singers. Thank is, you. Is that be- like, does that make me bad? I don't they know. get everything and we can't, they get everything <laughs> and we can't even have our own. It's crazy. Like it's like, you know, actually, so when Paglia got, uh, he did an interview back in 2017, you know, when he and He's got uh, a pretty, pretty big magazine. apartment, I think, right? And Paglia, just so you know, Paglia is the head of the Pontifical Academy for Life. So, yeah, go, Josh. Yeah, and so he was talking about, you know, I love this. Maybe this is the reason, this maybe tipped off why he put atheists on that committee because he goes, uh, I want to be pro-life from the beginning all the way to the end. I won't allow anyone to be more pro-life than me. Well, if you surround yourself by a bunch of atheists, I suppose that's an easy thing to do. And then he, then he goes into the whole Precisely because I'm pro-life, I can't, for, for example, I can't accept, for example, the death penalty. Because I'm pro-life, I can't accept that immigrants die on the streets. Because I'm pro-life, I can't accept that in the United States, in these first six months, which is of 2017, there have been 6,500 deaths involving firearms, more than double the number of the Twin Towers. This got me kind of torqued. It did. So I decided to have a little combo with him on the Twitters, and I said, you know, uh, I said to him, when we talk about immigration, we talk about immigration. When we talk about abortion, though, suddenly it's guns and torture and war and everything else. So weird. It's weird. And he goes, well, yes, we need a call for unity and the protection of life in every circumstance. It's like, yeah, but my whole point here is 
you're diluting the message every time every time we talk about abortion you want to bring up a thousand other things you know what there's a lot of problems in the world you know like ev cars taking a crap when when it's cold outside but you know what it's still let's when we talk about abortion we should talk about abortion so crazy yeah and i mean the name pontifical academy for life you would think that life implied you weren't going to be pro-abortion and atheist. And some people will say- Yeah, no, that's why I told yeah. him. I said, I actually told him, no, no. sorry, Erica. That's why I kind of snap back at him, as the kids say on Twitter. I said, <laughs> well, we wouldn't want to rename it the Pontifical Academy for Life, Gun Violence, Immigration, and Healthcare, right? So let's not dilute life. That's what I said. So You didn't like that comment, though. But but this lady, Mezzacuto, the, the, the lady, um, of course, you know, people really circled the wagons around her. Uh, as soon as this came out, and all of course failing to address the obvious, like what are they doing on a pontifical? Yeah, exactly. Is not in line with the magisterium. Someone that doesn't believe in a soul should not be on a Catholic board in terms of like life and decisions like that. So, I don't know. You know, so like about a week after she had gotten appointed, this is back in you know November of twenty twenty two or whatever. Um, Anne Hathaway, the actress, got on the View. And she was talking about abortion because the whole midterm elections are coming up, you know, and and she said, abortion can be another word for mercy. That's what actress Anne Hathaway said. That's and evil. I said, what is she trying to do? Is she trying what to audition for the in? Pontifical Academy for Life? <laughs> what is going oh, on? Man. Jeez. I mean, I guess I bring this stuff up. I, I bring this stuff up not because I want to disparage my own church, but I think that it's necessary for people to understand the depths of corruption that are going on right now in our own church. And these are obvious, provable. You can point at the facts. It's right in front of everyone's face. And if you just took stuff at face value and and went on the, well, you should never criticize. You should just roll your eyes over. I mean, how did we get in the abuse crisis? Like It's like, I, I don't want to be the same global people that just took people at their word and then wasn't calling out what I see as evil or wrong as I think we're commanded to do uh, by our own faith. So I'm, I'm getting, just getting a little bit tired of people who don't even really share my faith telling me how to live my faith, like the He Gets Us commercial, and then people within my own church rolling over on obvious corruption. I mean, this is obvious corruption. We should These people should not be Did on the Did you see the, the way she answered that question from that journalist? She said, because you know, he asked not just, what, hey, are you pro-abortion? Because it seemed like you're publicly advocating it, but also that you're an atheist. And her response... It was kind of muted, but she did address that actually. So I'm concerned about helping people and children who are hungry in this life, not not worried about the next life. It's like, actually, you know what? That's not Catholic. We right? as Catholics need to be concerned about both. It's not an either or, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. We, can, we are concerned with the material concerns, the hunger of people right now, but we are concerned about souls, you know? And I, I do like what you say about the He Gets Us ad. I mean, do you see the, I mean, the new one, we put it up on Kathy Boat's website, the, this one uh, uh, podcaster, Josh Dawes, he said, you know what? We got a lot of talented Christians. We should put together some video. And he just issued it as a calling and some Protestant pastor in Ireland put together a minute video and it just blew my socks off. So we should definitely put that in the show notes. I thought that was so cool. And like, like, that's what I think we're the whole, this all kind of unites because the whole point is that video, that's the authentic Christian witness, right? Not only does he get us, he redeems us, he saves us, he loves us. And again, with the Pontifical Academy, you want it to be a shining beacon of light and truth. 
not completely muddled as it Correct. is now. It would better be for it to shut down than be doing the kind of crap it's doing right Correct. now. Correct. Yep. Amen. Preach it. Holy yeah. great. Ed Fesser, um, I just wanted to share this too. We can, if it's too long, cut it. But Ed Fesser, uh, he, great, great intellectual, great philosophy professor. He posted in the wake of all this on Twitter. He he said, remember what Cardinal Ratzinger said on the responsibility that churchmen bear for tempting some traditionalists to schism. So he's saying, you you give us the scandal, right? You you start to take the great institutions that like John Paul II founded, like you said, Josh, to be a beacon, and you're actually tempting with that scandal some Catholics to schism. Not to say that you cause it, but you're tempting them, which is a grave, grave uh, error for a churchman to make. But he says, schisms can take place only when certain truths and certain values of the Christian faith are no longer lived and loved within the church. When the truth is marginalized, it becomes autonomous, it's detached from the whole ecclesiastical structure, and a new movement forms itself around it. And so he's saying, Ratzinger was saying, the causes of schism are in the hands of bishops and priests and laymen who scandalize the faithful with with transforming these uh, institutions like the Pontifical Academy. So little, can I read the last one, one or would you like to read that yeah, one? Yeah, you go for it. Go for it. All, all this leads a great number of people to ask themselves if the church of today is really the same as that of yesterday, or if they have changed it for something else without telling people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Boy, that's a good comment. 1988. Um, I'm not sure it's admissible, right? It's inadmissible. <laughs> but I remember it. 1988, Bishops of Chile. Man, I miss that guy. I miss I miss him. B16, come back. Someone else, again, talk about this, like the biggest question mark of most people's Catholic lives are why he stepped down. And I, I, we might never know until we get to heaven, but what a, what a sad day that was. Um, not that I was very old for it, but. I did, I did have a chance to meet with him and, you know, and talk with him back in 2005. And boy, if I would have known, I would have been like, hey, bro, whatever you do, <laughs> yeah, do I not need quit. You. you have to stay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. All right. All right. Twilight Zone. Erica, you're up first. All right. Uh, there's so much. There's so much. We had to skip the cows. We had to skip Biden. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, our friends at Harvard. We, you know, we come back to Harvard a lot. We president, ex-president Gay now. We had the, the Harvard um, scandals of admissions. And then we had all of the pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli, all, all this stuff. Harvard's great. And you know what they did this week? We had 30 pro-Palestinian Harvard students in a stunning and brave move participate. They were really showing what they believe in a 12-hour hunger strike in solidarity with students at Brown University. So for 12 hours, they skipped lunch for the day in order to show just how firmly they believe in From the River to the Sea. Palestine must well, be we're, free. We're joining them in solidarity I know, today, I know. Hey, we, it seems like. Hey, we're more than 12 hours. I mean, this is this is intense. But I just, I loved the pictures, the the video coming out of this is like, oh, you know, we just, we're suffering, we're giving up food. I'm like, yeah, you and Gandhi. I mean, I am just a believer at this point. These kids, yeah. they're 12 hour hunger That is straight. what we call intermittent fasting That is exactly what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually good for you physically. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, man. So good job, Harvard. <laughs> Josh, do you think you'd do one 12 hour hunger strike? 
Well, isn't that what Ash Wednesday is? I mean, I I, I told you I'm a bad Catholic. I mean, 1201 and I'm Josh, having a you, hamburger do you think or something. There's, are there any causes that you would do a 12-hour hunger strike for? <laughs> you know, actually, it was, I, I was talking about this with my kids. Because they, you know, someone they're talking about it was a vegetarian or whatever. And that just, to me, it's just so bizarre. Like on on purpose, you know, like it's one thing it was for health reasons, but like you would actually want to be a vegetarian. I I can never wrap my head around that. Like I was once an atheist. I came back to the faith, thank, praise God, but I would never give up on, on meat. I said to my kids, if Jesus Christ himself came to me and said, Josh, for the sins of the world, I want you to no longer eat meat. And I would say, but just on Fridays, right? Goes, no, no, no. Every meal, every day. Really? I'd barter with them. I mean, I would. I wouldn't just say yes. So a lot of the Catholics listening are really good, pious people. I'd be like, uh, you know, just for dinner or something, or breakfast, right? I mean, like, right? Every day. I mean, it literally would take Jesus Christ himself saying, Joshua, I do not want you to eat meat ever again for me to do it. Otherwise, like, forget well, it. Well, Josh, I have, I have two comments for you. Two comments for you. One, you really blew your chance to be in the Pontifical Academy for Life. You could have just stayed an atheist and made that happen. Uh, two, uh, now I just, all, how, how I see that um, negotiation going down is like the scene in The Great Divorce. Erica, it's very classically trained. You probably know what I'm talking about. When uh, he has the lizard on his shoulder and he has to negotiate with the angel. He's like, I'm going to kill the lizard. And he's like, do you have to kill the lizard? Do you really? The, the lizard represents sin, of course. And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, fine. He's like, all right, fine. And then he realized when he's killing the lizard, it actually hurt him too. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't do, don't do that. And like this negotiation is just Josh and Jesus saying like, do I really have to give up meat? Like seriously? It's like Lot with the heavenly father, right? He's like, surely you're not going to condemn the city if you could find a hundred men that are holy. God's like, okay, fine. 30, sure. I mean, just classic Jewish, like 30. Come on. What about 10? Surely not 10. So I'm like, really, God? Like, you want me to give up all meat? Like, how about just like for dinner? You know, <laughs> like, I'll give up chicken. for breakfast. Like, right? can I keep steak? You know? You know? Yeah. Surely if I smoke it for several <laughs> hours, right? It's dried out. You it's know, salted. Uh, man. The great, the great vegetarian divorce. New book coming out soon. Uh, all right. Is it? Josh, Josh is up. Twilight Zone. Well, so my little Twilight Zone is uh, Michael Sean Winters, who we all know very well. He is uh, he's a communist. Uh, writes for the National Commun or Catholic uh, Reporter, and we apparently live rent free. Catholic vote was rent free in this guy's head because anytime anything ever comes up where he can try to uh, uh, snip at us, he'll do it. And uh, that's Michael Sean Winters for you. So. That the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast was held, you know, j earlier this month of February here in uh, Washington D.C., and it was like the first time I just couldn't make it. And I was, end up was sick, so I shouldn't, I couldn't go anyway. But um, they ha held this event. Catholic, but we're one of those co-sponsors. It's a great event. They've been doing it since like 2005, and uh, we wanted to sponsor. Ooh, that got him so upset. That Catholic vote that the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast would dare to allow Catholic Vote to be a co-sponsor. How dare they? And the reason why is because we do a controversial tactic called geofencing. And this idea that, you know, if you would go worship the Lord and, and somehow Catholic Vote found out that this cell phone went into a church and now they're going to target you with messages. This is so nefarious and evil. It's not like setting up 
a table with coffee and donuts after mass. These people are trying to use technology to reach Catholics. And obviously, folk for Trump, these people are so evil. And it's like, really? Really? I mean, I go into Home Depot, and then uh, then all of a sudden, I start getting ads for Home Depot. Like, it's not the craziest thing in the world. Like, it's not, I don't know why people are so freaked out about this kind of stuff. When it, you don't, the, the laws in the land are pr- protect people and their and their privacy. It, you know, just because I went to Home Depot, then this device then gets Home Depot ads. But Home Depot doesn't know my phone number. But Josh, and they don't know it's Josh. Me. Respectfully, I, I think you're missing the point. Uh, the I I'm not kidding. The way that article was written, it sounded like there was a radical Catholic insurrection at the Capitol, and there happened to be a prayer breakfast going on. Are you are you okay? Did we check with Brian to see if he was okay? Her said it was very MAGA heavy. That that there was someone made fun of Fauci. I heard, which is like terrifying. The bishop some did. Bishop Byrne. <laughs> awesome. I was like totally surprised. <laughs> he did not strike me as a guy who's that conservative. And he takes a shot at Fauci and said that you know Fauci because Fauci gave that interview. We talked about that a few months ago. Fauci's like, oh, I'm so good. I don't even need God kind of stuff. And you know, like what? And Bishop Burns like, yeah, maybe this is why we need this Eucharistic revival because Catholics, so-called Catholics like Fauci, just think they don't need Jesus. And the reason you need to go to Mass is to, you know, the, every Catholic needs to know, love, and serve the Lord. And to be with Jesus and worship him at the Mass, that is w- central to our lives as Catholics. And, you know, this, this kind of, oh, I don't... And again, the bishop wasn't even trying to, you know, personally sling... Fauci through the mud or anything like that. I mean, it's just like you have this kind of flippant attitude where you you feel like you don't need God, and that's that's a problem for anyone to be thinking like that. It's amazing that, that just saying that out loud puts you in the <laughs> radical MAGA Trump supporter camp. But <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, Fauci. These are the people. This Microsoft have you a Fauci, Fauci, you know, like as Jesus handle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, some of these yeah. people were revering. Fauci, like he was the Pope. Remember that the whole COVID thing. And one of my like low key favorite parts of the article too was he talked about heritage, like they were somehow like a conservative terrorist organization. And they're like, they could have invited someone you know more reasonable, like AEI or something like that. And I was like, that's the biggest diss AEI I've ever heard. Like if you're if you're saying heritage is doing a good job in my mind by saying that, they're like, oh, you could have done someone more moderate, like AEI. I was like, that's kind of an insult to AEI. I think, Michael. Well, AEI deserves yeah. it because they're center left anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know. Michael but, Sean Winters uses the same sources as the FBI for profiling Catholic organizations. It sounds like. Watch out! There might be a Eucharistic uh, uh, revival. God forbid. Oh, man, that's frustrating. But I think it got retweeted by three people and then died. So, um, all right. So we move on to my Twilight Zone now. And mine's. Well, I hate to do this because you know Twilight Zone. I like to keep it light. But uh, I saw a Wall Street Journal opinion uh, piece uh, about the population bomb. Are you, you guys are familiar with the population bomb? Very I'm sure. much so. Oh yeah, uh, it was a very influential book <laughs> about how uh, not for Erica and not for me <laughs> <laughs> didn't influence people on this podcast. Uh, but very influential book, most people are familiar with. Uh, basically, saying stop having kids is bad for the environment. It's bad for the world. And so someone wrote in. I was a college student when I read Mister. Ehrlich's The Population Bomb, I took it to heart and now have no grandchildren. But 50 years later, the population has increased to 8 billion without dire consequences. I was gullible and stupid. Kenneth M. Woodbury, Minnesota. Um, that 
that was a. I was even surprised they posted something that poignant because it just it just the way it was written just hits a certain heartstring. It definitely hit with me, and I was just thinking about how much joy has come into my life since even having one kid. Could not even imagine you know looking down the road and have seen the joy of like grandkids. Like that's even so far down the horizon, but um, a very real consequence of a philosophy that tells people that humans are evil and the problem and you should limit them as much as possible. Um, this is a very real result of that philosophy. And I think even this guy, Elric, did he come out later and said like, this was garbage too? Like, didn't he recant this? No, 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 no. He, he All believed that. Okay. But yeah. I, 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 you said you hate to end on a negative note. Let's end with a high note because there was the whole debate, the, the bet. Did you ever hear about this? That the, 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 there was a, um, a, de- a, a bet between economist Julian Simon and Paul Ehrlich. And this was done in 1980. It was a scientific wager because Paul Ehrlich's like, uh, his whole thesis of the population bomb is that everything is going to be, resources are going to become increasingly scarce and ex- super expensive. And we're all going to starve to death because you know, there's too many people and everyone's going to die. And the price of everything, like oil and everything's going to shoot through the roof. And Julian Simon's like, um, you want to bet? So they had this $10,000 bet. It was started in September 29, 1980. And, Paul, and, and Julian Simon said to Paul Ruck, pick five commodities that are not government controlled or you know, run something like that. Just pick five that are truly market-based. And if they get more expensive after these 10 years, you win the bet. Because then you're right, the resources are becoming more scarce, where we're going to run out of stuff and we're not going to have any things. And so Paul Paul Ehrlich bets, you know, he's like, okay, he picked five commodities. And 10 years later, 1990, how many of those five commodities were more expensive? That's right. For the audio podcast listeners, that's a big fat zero. Yeah. yeah. So he won. he won. Julius Simon won. He, he, he took it right to his face, like on this bet. And Paul Ehrlich, did he turn around and go, gee, maybe I was wrong. You know, I, he picked chromium, copper, nickel, tin, and tungsten. All of them were cheaper did he pay up? 10 years later. He did? Mm, well, well, good good on him. But he for also continued up. to push the anti anti life, anti population uh, uh, shtick for his whole life. Julian Simon would have been perfectly happy. Like, keep the money if you just reject your book. That would have been worth it. Here are my terms. And uh, that's why it really, even just from an observation standpoint, seeing people that believe in the human capacity for innovation, like Elon Musk, and he's put this so well, like there's people that are anti-civilization, like people that are telling you to stop having kids are anti-civilization. So that's like the the simplest, most distilled way of looking at it. And I think people like Elon Musk that are innovating and uh, or e- other people that are innovating in ways that can help sustain more people, um, I think is a more positive way to look at the world. And then there's people sitting on the side of the road blocking your way to work and throwing paint at beautiful art pieces like which to me are are working in the right direction or have a more positive view of what's going on. And I can tell you for a fact, it's not those, those, I don't even want to say the word that I would probably use for people that block people's access to going to work. Just like the least productive, most vile way to to get a point across that isn't even the right point or you're not even correct. So I think, uh, I think that story illustrates it well, Josh, but um, man, yeah, pray for that guy. Yeah. Well, really I just, sad. again, you can do what you're saying about the population model and not having grandkids, Tom, I think that was a great thing to have brought up. And I guess 
it's important to remember that the central thesis of that book is wrong and that Julian Simon's central thesis is right, that the ultimate resource is human ingenuity and humans. We are a resource, not just an additional mouth to feed. And that's the biggest thing that we need to confront when it comes to these climate people, when it comes to the population bomb stuff. They just look at humans as resource eaters and consum- consumers. And, you know, all we are is consumption. In fact, we're not. We're very productive. Humans are a, a, the ultimate resource. You want more humans and you'll get a cleaner planet and a better and world. Happier humans. Amen. There we and go. Happier people. Happy note. Happy note. Happy note. We made it through. Thank you for listening, guys. If you want to help us out, uh, we have a live show noon every Monday. Subscribe on our YouTube channel, The Loopcast. Uh, we have some fun on social media. I made the photoshopped image of Josh dancing like a Russian person. Um, that was sick. So if you want to go see that, go follow our Twitters. Maybe we should drop that in the description here. That's kind of fun. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, five stars. We appreciate it. Uh, and we'll be praying with you. We're in We're in it together for Lent. It's going to be great. We're all going to be holier because of it. I, I'm praying for you guys, hoping the best for everyone who listens. And uh, we ask, huh. oh, Josh. So are we going to preview the thing that we're doing on Friday, right? We're going to do a little bit on Friday. Tom and I, we're going to talk about consecration to St. Joseph. I I wasn't even aware of that, but I need to start preparing. Come on, man. Now you know. Night, Nighthawk did say there was something coming on Friday. I didn't know what it was, but I guess we know now. Um, See? I'm gonna, Maybe I'm Mercer bring should along, preview, Tom, do a little love ad it. for that. Awesome. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, Josh, do you, do you have anything you'd like to say about that, or do I need to go learn off air? Well, I just think, you know, like- it, the t- you know the time for the church and for men, uh, uh, Catholic men, to really um, jump on the Joseph train is now. I mean, Joseph is a great man, uh, and he's his wisdom and his holiness is exactly the kind of beacon of light that Catholic men today need. And um, I, I think uh, Father Don Calloway's book, Consecration of Saint Joseph, is very easy to get into. It's accessible. Um, you know, take a little bit at a time. Um, and if you join us on Friday, we'll dive into this and, uh, you can join with us and, and journey with Joseph. And it's a great thing, a great preparation for Lent. And we'll go up to his great, uh, feast day, March 19th, the solemnity. And, uh, I just encourage, I mean, of course, women can join in this as well, but especially calling for the med to, to be more like Joseph, um, if we have more men in our country today acting like St. Joseph, we would be immeasurably better. Amen. Word. Sounds good. So, us for that. Uh, St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis, Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us, and we will see you guys on the next one. Bye.